0: Well, if this is your first time joining us, hey, Sam, I'm going to have you turn it down even a little bit more. Thank you. If for a first time joining us, uh, we're a church that goes through books of the Bible. Um, we are in uh, week 19 of our series through the book of Acts that's going to go till probably the end of September. Um, and here's the thing about that. We preach the Bible, we preach scripture, we go verse by verse because we want to honor what the Lord has given us. You know, sometimes if we preach topics or we preach different things, sometimes it can get taken out of context and we're missing it from the overall context of what the writers and what God inspired to write. And so we love going through books of the Bible so we don't miss anything. I mean, like, How many would agree that God's word is pretty incredible? Amen? Right? And I'm one. I don't want to miss out. And so even for me as a pastor, I love reading through books of the Bible because you get the grander scheme and plan of who God is and his incredible sovereignty and his will and his beauty. And so we go through books of the Bible because... We believe in God's word. We believe that it's the inspired word of God without error. And so we want to to honor that, and we want to see what God has given us. I mean, he, this if you want to hear God speak, here it is, right? Like, God speaks through his word. And so we are in week 19. We're in Acts chapter 9 this morning. Last week, if you were here, um, man, I listened to Dan's message, and I got to say God is good. Right? God is amazing. And and, um, there's a little bit of jealousy that he got to preach about Saul's conversion. Not going to lie, but I'm glad that I can share this pulpit with Christ-centered, like-minded men who love Jesus and, 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 and can point us to Christ. And so as I listened to it, man, like it was incredible. Like you saw this man, right? Like you know, we, we witnessed the stoning of Stephen, uh, and Saul was there. Uh, Saul, you know, and, and we witnessed Philip and, and Ethiopian Enoch. And then we see Saul again, and, and he was literally going to what? To persecute Christians. Like, here's a man who absolutely was an enemy of God. Matter of fact, he, he did not believe in Jesus, like, and he was an enemy of Jesus. Was he a religious leader? Yeah. Did he understand the Old Testament? Yeah. But he's never encountered the true living Jesus. Matter of fact, he didn't believe in Jesus, right? And anyone who preached the name of Jesus, who preached that Jesus was the Son of God, who was the Messiah, he was going to persecute. And he was going to do it. And he had he had this plan. I mean, he had a letter. He had permission. Like, he was going miles away. It wasn't just up the street. He was going miles away to do this. And here's a man who absolutely was an enemy of God in God's plan and an enemy of God's covenant and all these things right and we see this man on his way to Damascus encounter who <laughs> Jesus like like how good is this right like he had a, a Christ moment he had a, a, a encounter with Jesus now, each and every single one of us have encounters with Jesus. If you know Jesus, you've had that encounter, maybe not as spectacular as Saul's, but there's a reason why Saul needed this encounter. I mean, he absolutely did not believe at all. He was an enemy of God. And in order to, to fully change that, like Christ had to show up in a pretty dynamic way. And so God shows up, right, in and, and this bright light, this glory of Christ, right, and, and he encounters Jesus, right? And Jesus says, Saul, so why are you persecuting me? Why are you against me? Right, and in that moment, Saul encounters Jesus, right? This man who was prideful, this man who was full of hate, this man who, who was a sinner of sinners. I mean, if, if there's someone who's like, that man's never gonna meet Jesus, I don't think God, he's in God's plan. It was Saul, Right, but here's the thing about God: God's ways aren't ours. We would have written Saul off. I mean, how many of you people have probably encountered or or seen someone who's so deep in the sin that you're like, that man's never gonna meet Jesus? right? that woman's never gonna meet Jesus. Yeah, but God's like, Man, you doubt me? Like, you doubt my name? You doubt the power I have in my name? And so he encounters Jesus right? And God's sovereignty and God's plan of having Ananias and all these things happen, right? And Ananias heals him through the power of the Lord and and gives him, Paul, the spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. And and Paul was baptized, right? And, And this man, this man who was totally far off from Jesus, has an encounter with Jesus, and now is being transformed into the same person that Paul was going to persecute because he hated. Like, Like, you can't make this stuff up. Like, I I don't care. Like, to me, when I look at scripture and I see this is real, like, you can't make these things up. I mean, this man was totally hateful to Christ. But then we continue his story in Acts chapter nine, starting in verse 20. And so I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine. But I want to read a verse that's going to connect our today's passage, that's going to connect where we're going, and what we're doing. So Paul goes to this house, and the Lord uh, goes and speaks to Ananias, and he says, hey, I want you to go to this guy Saul. And Ananias is like, isn't that the guy that actually hates me? Doesn't he want to kill me? Here's what Paul says, or God says to to Ananias. Look at verse 15 of Acts chapter Um, 9, and this is going to even connect Paul's entire story, and it begins to make sense of all the things that Paul Saul, Saul, Paul uh, goes to, right? But he said this to Ananias, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Underline chosen. Like if you, if you want to underline your Bible, or if you have the journal, the circle, underline, highlight. Uh, if you have a phone, you know, hold on the word chosen until it highlights, and then you can highlight it. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer, underline the word must suffer, for the sake of my name. You guys get that? Right? I'm not going to do a full message on chosen, but here's the thing. God's sovereign. And I'm going to say this. We look at that going, well, how does God choose certain people and not choose certain people? Here's the thing, I'm not God. And to question the creator of the universe, the one that created us, the one that put this whole plan into motion, and to say, God, you can't just choose specific people. Like, God's like, I'm God, right? God is sovereign and he has chosen any of those who come to him for his name, for his sake, for his glory. And we were created for the glory of the Lord right? And so we're chosen to bring glory to the Lord. But he will show him how much he must suffer. So not only was Paul chosen, but he was chosen to suffer for Christ's name. Church, this is so in line with what's happening in our world today. And we're going to begin to see it more, that those who believe in Jesus will suffer for his name. Those who truly follow Jesus will have pushed back will experience trouble if you follow Jesus and you stand upon his name and his name and only. The world wants to say that everywhere, every religion ends the same place, but we have to understand that scripture says that only in Jesus is salvation found, right? And so we cannot go past that. But here's the thing, and Christ even told his disciples, right? right? You, for my name, you will experience trouble, but have hope because why? Because he's already overcome it. Church, we know the end of the story, right? And God's allowing us to live out the story that he's continually writing. And we're going to experience this pushback. But if we know from Hebrews, right? The reminder, persevere, persevere, persevere. Why? Because salvation in the end, eternal glory with Jesus is gonna be incredible. And the suffering that you're gonna face now is worth it for eternal life, right? And so... And so this morning, as we read, we we, got to understand this, right? We're in this all of Jesus for all the world, right? A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Alliance, his desire was all of Jesus for all the world, right? Even people like Saul need Jesus, right? And and, and here's a verse that dictates this whole entire passage, right? This whole entire book, but you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? Like that is the key verse that writes out everything that happens, right? The Holy Spirit is working. God is working. This movement is happening. And it's not because of their own power. It's because of the power of the Spirit in our lives, right? We have to understand this. We can't come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior without the Holy Spirit, right? it's him that guides us. It's him that leads us. It's him that works on our hearts. And so, what we're going to see today is that Saul was chosen, yet he experienced pushback. Saul was chosen, yet he suffered. Saul was chosen, yet God took many years to prepare him. And we're going to see within the white space of this passage that there are plenty of years that happened. Things are going on. God's preparing him. God's delighting in him. We have to understand again this verse, right? That that he is a chosen instrument and he's chosen to suffer for my name. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as we read Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 20. Uh, I believe in corporate reading out loud of Scripture um, as an act of worship together. And so, starting in verse 20, uh, Sam, I'm just going to have you uh, guide it up there. I'm in 9, right? Yep. So... Actually, started, verse 19 is not up there, but I'm going to read 19. For some days he's with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. On the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You guys can see seated. Let's pray. Lord, your name is great. Lord, and we're so thankful that you've given us your word to encourage us, to speak to us, to challenge us, to transform us, to, to take away the things that, that are keeping us from having a full relationship with you. And I'm so grateful that you've given us individual lives to look at, to examine, to see how you worked specifically in people's lives for the sake of the gospel. Lord, you are sovereign. You're powerful. You're all-knowing. Lord, and we worship you this morning. God, as we preach your word, Jesus, I pray that whatever comes out of my mouth um, is glorifying to you. I pray that you would um, continue to search our hearts and speak to us. Lord, what are the things that we need to give and surrender to you this morning for us to have a deeper relationship with you? So Jesus, we pray, Father, that you would get the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what's funny? I printed off my notes, and I just realized they're not up here. So uh, one second. One second. Can somebody just grab to go to the printer and grab it off there? I uh, forgot to turn my iPad on, too. It should be on the printer, right? And so this morning, we're going to look at Saul's life right after his conversion. And the first point we've got to look at, and the first point we're going to talk about is this, is that Saul was chosen, yet he experienced pushback and opposition, even from the start, right? And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem? Like, not only were they amazed, but I, I, I picture and imagine that they were not only making fun of him, they, they were pushing back on what he's saying, saying, how could you be the one who came to kill us, but at the same time talk Jesus? Like, is this, is this a ploy? Is this a trick? Is this a plan? Right? Is not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem, all those who called upon his name, and has he not come here for his purpose, to bring them down before the chief priests? when I was in fifth grade, I was 11 years old, and that's when I accepted Jesus, right? I, two ladies come to my door and, and, and talk to me about Jesus. And in that moment, like nothing else was just as important. Like, like this story, this man, Jesus, who came to save me from my sins, like I wanted it and I accepted it. And my, my first prayer, my desire was, man, I want everyone, Jesus, to experience this, this joy, this, this hope that I'm experiencing in this moment to the point that um, when, when Monday came around, I go into my fifth grade teacher. His name is Mr. Goodman. And I go up to him and I said, hey man, like, hey, hey, Mr. Goodman, guess what? I got saved this weekend. And he's like, saved? Like, did you almost drown? Did you almost get hit by a car? Like, what happened? And, and I, in that moment, I was like, I got him. I'm gonna tell him about Jesus and he's going to accept him. And so I said, no, like, Jesus saved me. And his response was, oh, okay, cool. And I'm like, okay, Lord, Lord like, like, this is exciting to me. Why wasn't it exciting to him? And over the next couple years in middle school and high school, um, I, I was dedicated to talking about Jesus to the point that I even had this green, ugly hoodie, and in white paint, I said, Jesus saves on it, right? And here's the, here's the honest truth. Like, during that time, right? I'm growing. And when I first got saved and I told him I got saved, I still had no fully understanding what this truly meant. Like I haven't studied the Bible. I haven't read. I haven't like really heard about, hey, like now you're saved. Like here's what's happening in your life. Here's what Jesus wants to do. Like here's his word. And so I'm telling people about Jesus, not having a lot of on my plate or even a lot of understanding of what's happening. And when we look at this passage, um, Man, like, like Saul, like he was talking about Jesus and right away, like he, he was getting pushback. back. I mean, it wasn't like he accepted Jesus and then all of a sudden everyone started coming to know him. Like there was this, this like, like Billy Graham full moment of, like you just speak the name of Jesus, right? And people just come. Like he was getting pushback back upon pushback upon pushback. And if you go further in the book of Acts here, in this chapter, you know, it, it got to the point that like people wanted to kill him for it. Like, here's a man who persecuted Christians, right? Like, he was the one that actually pushed back the Christians. And now the script has flipped. Here's Saul, who is now telling people about Jesus and how uh, Jesus has saved him, right? And we have all of this going on and all of these moments. And through this, you might be wondering, man, like, why do I want to know Jesus then if I'm just going to get pushed back? Why do I want to talk about Jesus? You hear all the time, right? You, your calling is to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Like that is, that is uh, outside of bringing glory to the Lord. That is our ultimate calling is to preach the gospel to everyone. But why would I want to do that if it's going to cause me to be uncomfortable? I don't want to be uncomfortable. But here's the thing we have to understand. That if you love Jesus, you are called to be uncomfortable for him. If you love Jesus and you're following Jesus and and you've experienced this this transforming work that God is doing in your life and this joy and this hope and this peace that only Christ can give and, and, and you're wondering what I can do, like you are to go and preach the name of Jesus even if it means that you're going to get pushed back. Because here's the thing. We know that the enemy is not going to stop kicking and screaming until the end. We know that the enemy is going to do everything in his power to keep people from, from, from placing their faith in Jesus as God is drawing them and guiding them, and the Spirit is, is beginning to work in people's lives. And here you come, and you talk to them about the name of Jesus. But here's also a thing you need to understand, and something that I had to understand and process, is that even though you share the gospel with someone, you may never be the one to lead people to Jesus. That is hard to know that, you, that, that you're called to preach the gospel. You're not called to convert them. That is the Spirit's job. And you may go and tell people about Jesus, and, and you may be gung whole like, this is awesome, like, and, and all of a sudden they don't accept Jesus, and there's pushback. And what typically happens? We get discouraged. But we have to understand that we're called to preach the gospel, even if that means that we're never the one to lead someone to Jesus but we're called to plant the seeds. Why? Because the spirit doesn't stop working. In in, in Sunday school this morning, right, we're talking about Isaac and Rebecca and this lineage, and what we see is that God never stops working. God's sovereignty, God's goodness, God's plan doesn't just stop, and he keeps working. So maybe you tell someone about Jesus, right? And then all of a sudden, maybe down the road, someone else tells them about Jesus, then it finally clicks, and they're like, that makes sense, Here's the thing. We don't, all, we, we don't know those who are chosen by Jesus. We're not God. We're not going to pretend to be God. That's God's choosing, God's guidance, God's way. We're called to preach the gospel, right? And, and, and at some point, our hope and our prayer and our desire is that as God works in them, like, that they've come to know Jesus. But all throughout even Paul's life and even here, right, there is this pushback upon pushback upon pushback but here's the thing we know in this passage about Paul. Even though he was getting pushed back and he was having this time, this is what it says. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was Christ. Just because people were pushed back and just because there was arguments and debates and things happening and never stopped Paul from preaching about what God was doing in his life. Here's a man who didn't know Jesus, hated Jesus, and now is telling people like, look, God, intervened in my life. Like God stepped in and changed me, not by my own doing, but by Christ and Christ speaking to me and Christ changing me and Christ transforming me. And he goes on and he, he proves that, right? Well, how does he prove that? Well, he proves it first and foremost through the power of the spirit, right? We know that he received the power of the spirit. We know that he had the spirit. He know that we, he believed in Jesus, right? And, and, and proof that Christ exists isn't from our own power. It is from God working in and through us. Right? We have to understand that, that God is gonna work and we have to have confidence and hope knowing that as we are obedient to Christ, he will provide for what is needed in those moments to prove and, and to, to talk about him. So Paul, even though he was chosen, he had pushed back and he had struggles. Not everyone quickly believed in what was happening. I mean, how many of you would, would see Paul one day and the next day would trust him. I wouldn't. But here's number two. Point number two. Saul was chosen, yet he suffered. Wait a minute, pastor. I thought when we accept Jesus, everything is glorious. I thought everything would be great. I accepted Jesus. Now everything is going to be hunky-dory till the end, right? And we're going to have a great life and we're going to prosper. Here's the thing with that mentality. The prosperity gospel is false. Well, we have to understand that the prosperity gospel is false. Nowhere in Scripture to God's promise that you're going to have the greatest life possible and have all the money and have all the resources and have everything at your fingertips because you're following Jesus. It says the opposite. It says you're going to have trouble and trials and tribulation. But in that, he says, but have hope. Have hope. Have hope. Why? Because I'm good. Right? Christ is all we need. Why? Because while, while there are going to be times in our life where we're not going to be happy, let's face it, right? Happiness, it, ups and downs, is based off our moods, based off of it here. Here's the thing true Christ centered joy is only something that can happen through Christ. And when you have that Christ centered joy in your life, nothing that happens to you is going to waver your faith. You're going to be pressed. You're going to go through trials. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have struggles. And some of you in here probably have struggled more in life than I have. Maybe you're here and you've lost a child. Maybe you're here and you experience hardship in marriage. Maybe you're here and you've had a job failure and you were fired from your job. Or maybe like worse, maybe other things are happening. And you're here. But yet nothing has changed your perspective on Christ because it's not found in our circumstances, but found in what God says about himself here in his word. So even if you experience hardship and things going on, I fully believe that when we follow Jesus and we're obedient to him, he is going to give us a joy to help us to get through it. We're never called to just get over things. We're always called to go through it. Because in the end, if we allow Christ, our faith and our growth in Jesus is going to excel. But We have to understand that that's only in Jesus. And so we see here, I mean, throughout this passage, look at this. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching from the gates and day and night in order to kill him but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Cue the music from Indiana Jones, right? da da Right, like you just see this escape happening, right? And it's at night where they can't see it, but here's my thinking to these men that are plotting and killing him. Wouldn't they have thought to have people all across the wall, right? Or at some point trying to keep out for this happening, but at some point in this pot, Uh, Saul was connected to a family who probably lived in the wall, right, and and lowered it down from one of the windows, and and he was able to escape. But here's the thing. I mean, not only was, was Paul persecuted and pushed back, but like he couldn't stay there because he was going to experience suffering. I mean, they wanted to kill him. Just as much as he wanted to kill Christians, now the script is flipped and now people are totally against him. They're angry to the point they're saying, Saul, like you were once one of us. You were a friend of ours. You were our brother. And now you're against us saying that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that he is son of God and he's the Messiah. Boy, you're blasphemous, Saul. Right? And they wanted to kill him. Here's the thing in your life, and you may, like, thankfully, maybe here in Millersburg, we don't have it as much, but there are believers all across the world whose lives are always in danger because they're preaching the name of Jesus. To the point that you see videos of Christians being beheaded and suffering for the name of Jesus and never recounting the name of Jesus. They preach boldly, and as a result, they suffered. Look at this. Here's, here's, here's Saul, right? Here's this man, and through his journey in Corinthians, um, it says this, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and people... This is not the stoning when it comes to smoking a blunt. This is actual stoning that happened. This is, I mean, think about Stephen, right? He was stoned like Stephen. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardships through many a sleepless night, and a hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Not only is he suffering from all those things, but he's anxious, he's worrying. He was weak. And I am not weak, who is made to fall, and I am not indigent. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, here it is, right? The governor under King Artis was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands all these things happening. And then he's like, oh, by the way, like there was a point where I was going to get killed. And my friends lowered me in a basket, a basket, like maybe it was some kind of fishing basket. It was something, but it had to be big enough basket to be able to hold a male body and lower him down. But here's a man who's chosen. He's called by God. God told Ananias, what? That he's a chosen instrument for my name's sake. But yet he had to suffer for his name. Point number three, Saul was chosen, yet God took time to develop him. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Again, boldly. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. We read this and we read it here. And this is Luke's eyewitness account. This is Luke writing uh, probably from a perspective of, of what Paul was saying. But here's the good news about scripture in this moment. Scripture interprets each other. There are moments in scripture that help us to understand deeper what is happening here. And you see all this space, like all this white space that's happening in the scene. We look at it and go, okay, he was baptized. He was with the disciples for a couple of days and boom, he immediately preached Jesus. And right away he went and saw uh, Cephas, you know, who's Peter and, and the apostles up in Jerusalem. But here's the thing we have to understand that this wasn't just days. This was years. How do we know that? Well, let's look at Galatians 1. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the Church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God but when God, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, which is a desert, and later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, and I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Right? Here's a man, right? Like, we have to understand that that Paul was chosen... But yet God took many years to develop him. While you you might be asking, like you hear, right? Accept Jesus and then boom, go preach the gospel. But here's the thing. What do you know to preach? Right? You don't know much, right? But here is the thing we have to understand. There is power in God's spirit. Here's Paul. For some days he was with the disciples, the beginning of 19, right? And it says he immediately proclaimed Jesus. Somewhere in that, He went off to Arabia, to the desert. To what? To retreat, most likely. We don't fully know what he did in Arabia. We just know that he spent time there hearing from Jesus, spending time with Jesus, allowing the Spirit to illuminate in his life and allow Jesus to give him revelation. Right, like Jesus and himself, this special revelation of Jesus, right? We have general revelation and we have special revelation. This special revelation is things that only the Spirit can reveal to us about Jesus, right? And and, and so Christ, he's meeting with Jesus. He's having time. And he's growing. And God's speaking. And he's gaining all these things about who Jesus is. And it's in this that he goes and begins to preach. Not from man's intuition or man's understanding, but through Christ. And it says that it took him three years to get up to Jerusalem. What was he doing in these three years? Well, obviously, I think he was preaching to the Jews. I think he was preaching the gospel. But at the same time, I I think he was also growing underneath some of the disciples. He was spending time with Jesus. Like, think about it. Think about all the times, right? How many years was Moses in the desert that God was preparing him? Forty, right? Jesus went off to the desert, not to just be tempted, right, but to have that information with the Spirit, right? The Spirit led him into the desert, right? Jesus, oftentimes through the Gospels, says that he withdrew to spend time with the Father. You might be here, and you might be asking, man, like, that's a lot for me to accept Jesus and to go and to just preach it. Like, Like, there's beauty in that, right? Like, you're preaching what Jesus has been revealing to you. But here's the thing also. God is not just calling us to tasks. We have to understand this, that God is, first and foremost, calling us to himself. Right? We have to spend time with him. We have to read his word. We have to pray. We have to have that quiet time with Jesus. Because it's only in those moments that we're equipped to go and preach the gospel, to go and live a life, to go and, and resist temptation. Like, I don't know about you, but, but I'm one that, that likes to just go, 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 go all the time, right? Like, and, and um, I, I started, I, I, I again watched a, a small group study called the Ruthless Elimination of Harry, right? And, and as I was watching this and as I was listening like God began to, to convict me of these things, saying, Mike, you rush way too much. To the point that even I find lately sometimes my quiet time with Jesus was rushed. And I noticed that in those moments, as I'm going about my day, I'm not as focused. Uh, I, I, I find myself more prone to, to think about sinful thoughts. And I realized God's realizing saying, like, you have to spend time with me. Like this, your, your, your sanctification, your process of becoming like me is a lifelong process. Like you're not going to become 100% overnight. As a matter of fact, you're not going to be 100% until I can return and take you home and give you a glorified body. But in that moment, as I sanctify you and as I, I transform you, you've got to understand, Mike, that I, I need you to spend time with me. I can't do this on my own. You, you can't do this on your own, Mike. Like you need my help. And if you truly want to understand what it means to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, how do we do that, church? We spend time with Jesus. There's no other way. And so even in those moments uh, of Saul taking this time, I can imagine that he would have taken time to grow and, and to, to hear from the Lord all of those things. And then not only that, we have, we, we, after this passage, we don't see Saul until, I believe, Acts 13 right? And in, in, in Acts 13, we see him again. But in that time, there's probably another 14 years that have passed. If you look at Galatians 2, right? It says that Paul, it was another 14 years before he returned to Jerusalem after they sent him back. And we have to understand that like God, God didn't, like, like he wasn't sent on his first missionary journey until almost 17 years after he accepted Jesus while he's procreating the gospel, like we have to understand that sometimes you're here and maybe you're here and you're gung-ho for Jesus. You're like, God, I just want to go. Like I've accepted Jesus. I love him. God, send me. Like give me a pastor position. Allow me to do these things. And God's like, no, like be with me. Spend time with me. Grow. And at some point in my plan, in my way, I will send you. But sometimes it takes time. And so we have to understand that for Saul, not only was he chosen and he was chosen to suffer and he was chosen to be an instrument for him, like God God was working with him. It takes time. It took time. Paul didn't just go and, and have everything together right away. He didn't go from hating Christians to being this holy saint right away. Like God was still working. And if you look throughout his epistles, his writers that he wrote, you're gonna see times that it says that he struggled. Like the things that I, I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. Like even in his own life, he's struggling. That God is continually working on him until the end. And he says that I've finished the race well that God has given me. And even in that moment, I guarantee you that God was still working in his life. Church those who love Jesus, those if you're here and you're following Jesus and you believe in him and you love him and you worship him and you desire to be obedient to him, know that you've been chosen. God has chosen you. He's chosen you first and foremost to himself. And then from there we take that and we go and proclaim it to the world. Christ isn't just calling you to go and do and do and do. He's calling you to be with him, first and foremost. And in that time with Jesus, he's equipping you to go and proclaim the gospel to the world. Then I went to Syria and Sicily. I was personally unknown to the church of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Church, here's Paul. Here's a man chosen by God. Here's a man not only chosen, but he was chosen to suffer for his name's sake. And we see in this passage that that is what began to happen to the point that people wanted to kill him for preaching Jesus. People wanted to harm him. People wanted to arrest him. People wanted to persecute him because he believed in Jesus. Know this. Know that you will be persecuted for your faith. You will be made fun of. I can't tell you how many times growing up I was mocked for my faith. I was mocked for not indulging in certain sins. I was mocked for, for actually putting boundaries and cutting people off from my life because I, I, I noticed that they were living in sin more than I wanted to be a part of that. And there are times where you're gonna be faced with making decisions that are hard. There's gonna be times where you have to cut yourself off from certain people because quite frankly, they're just leading you away from Jesus. There's going to be times in your life where, where family mis- may disown you. Like, I, I, I can honestly say this because it's part of my life. Like, I love my mom, but when I told her that I was moving away uh, for full-time ministry, she didn't like that. I understand as a mom, but her, her temptation, her desire was this, Mike, aren't you making enough money where you're at? Why do you want to follow Jesus away from here? I had to tell my mom, mom, I'm called to go and preach the gospel wherever he calls me to go. And this is going to cause me to, to be uneasy. It's going to cause me to move. Church, I have, my wife and I have been married eight and a half years, and we've lived in five different states. That's hard. I, I've had uh, pastors over me who are emotionally abusive to me and my wife. I've had had a church who literally, during service, brought in a petition to push the pastor and I out while I was leading worship and the pastor was preaching. I've been a part uh, of going from New Jersey to Minnesota where we thought we were going to be there for a while. And somehow during those moments, uh, within a year, the church actually voted by by the denomination, by the district, because the people in the church were fighting the change that the pastor and I were tasked to, to begin doing to the point that they were harming the community that the denomination actually closed it. And in the process of, of closing down a church, I can't tell you how many people got in my face and the pastor's face and just reamed us out. They, they, like, like these things are happening and, and I can go here and I can say, I'm done, God. I'm done in ministry. I'm done suffering for you. I'm done. I just want to go work a job. And God's like, Mike, you're not done. Because in those time, in those five years, God was preparing me for here. And I might look at those and go, God, why the suffering? Why the pain? Why the sorrow? My, my wife, there are days my wife would come into church just bawling because of how hard it was. And when I saw that, I was like, God, I, I, I can't put my wife through this. I can't do it. God, I, <sighs> Like, five, five states, Lord, in eight and a half years. Like, what are you doing to me, God? Like, you're insane, Lord. And God's like, Mike, I'm forming you. I'm making you. I'm preparing you. Because here's the thing we have to understand. That not all suffering is bad. Not all suffering is bad. You may suffer because of a sin in your life. That's bad suffering. You may suffer because of other people's sins. But when God allows you to go through things and He begins to form you and He begins to make you and pressure you and do all these things, He is forming you into the disciple and the follower that He wants you to be. And we go look at this going, God, Saul was chosen, chosen to suffer for you, Lord, like, what is this? This is crazy. But if you look throughout his letters, his suffering brought him closer to Jesus. His suffering made him more like Christ. His suffering Brought the gospel to many places. Sometimes our suffering is God allowing it for his purpose and for his glory. We can't negate that. We can't forget about that. Like Saul, like he was persecuted and he suffered. But his suffering was all to bring glory to the name of Jesus. And I can look back at my life, and it's hearts, and it's painful. And if I can do it again, I don't want to do that, Lord. But I look back and I go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the suffering you brought me from. Thank you for the moves, for the transitions. Because God, I wouldn't be where I'm at as a leader, as a father of you, as one who just loves Jesus without these moments of suffering in my life. Not only that, but I can tell you this. like, If our marriage can get through those things, man, like God's good. But it's only in the power and the grace of Jesus that he allowed us to go through that. And he allowed us to have those experiences, not only to strengthen our marriage, but to strengthen our love for people. All throughout this, God is reminding me, Mike, they're broken in need of Jesus. It doesn't matter if they believe in Jesus or not. They need Jesus. They need the gospel. And God has just formed in me this heart and this desire to keep preaching Jesus, even in the midst of my suffering, because I know that my temporary suffering... I hope to one day go and see in heaven those that I crossed paths with who came to know Jesus. And if I get to heaven and I see one or two people that I went across with and I told them about Jesus and they're there, then my suffering was worth it. Because every single day people are going to hell because they don't know Jesus. And our merely lifespan of suffering It's totally worth seeing them spend eternity with Jesus. Even if it meant pushback, and it means you continuing to preach Jesus. What does this mean for us? Know this, that God uses suffering to form you into the disciple he desires for you. We need to understand that God, first and foremost, calls you to himself, not to tasks. You're not called to do, first and foremost, you're called to be. And your story is worth telling. Listen to this. Peter says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your story is for a purpose because God has called you to preach the gospel to those around you. God has called you to point your kids to Jesus. God has called you to point your coworkers to Jesus, your boss to Jesus, your family to Jesus. God has called you to 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 point your spouse to Jesus. God has called you to to point your neighbors to Jesus. And you have to understand this, is that if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you love him, and you desire to be obedient to him, then you're calling to not only be with him, but to go and preach the gospel. Why? Because God brought you out of darkness. And his calling and his desire is to bring others out of that darkness. But he continues on in chapter 3. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Guys, here's the thing. We have God's story. We have Luke's account of Paul. We have all these epistles of of Paul's life. Why? Because Paul's life, his story was worth it. His story encountering Jesus and preaching the gospel and being transformed into the image of the Son is worth it. So here's the thing. Your story is worth it. You might be here, man, and at some point you may have found yourself in prison. Maybe you're here and and you found yourself at some point addicted to drugs or or totally just abusing your family or doing something and you never thought that you can ever get out of that. Maybe you're here and and at some point you thought that your life was worthless, meaningless, meaningless. Like, why am I still alive? That's the enemy wanting to believe that your life was worthless. But when we look at Scripture, what do we see? We see that you're created in the image of God. That Christ has died for you. That you are chosen, first and foremost, to honor and revere Christ and bring glory to his name. But you're chosen to live out your story for him. And so you thought your life was meaningless and over. I mean, at some point, Saul probably thought that like, what he was doing was great and that um, people were like, this guy's crazy. He's a lunatic. There's no way God is ever going to meet him and change his life. Man, I want to tell you this. No matter what you do, you are never outside of God's grace. But we have to understand that it's God's grace that leads you to salvation, not us. It's not our works. On anything we do, but God. But God's love for you is so great that He's chosen to die for you on the cross so that you have a way out of the life you're living into a new life that He promises to give to anyone who comes to Him as Lord and Savior. And He promises to put you in a new creation. And He promises that if we follow Him and we spend time with Him, like He's going to begin this transformation process. And your life is going to change if you allow the Spirit to do it. We can't change our lives on our own. You can't go into God's eternity without him. You can't even accept him without him. But in those moments, God's grace is so abundant and so rich that he, is, he, he laid down his life so that you can have a chance to be transformed. And so if you're here and you know Jesus and you've accepted him and, and you, you, you're, you're living a life for him, but yet like there's still the weight of your story. Like your story matters to the point. I was yesterday, I was, I was uh, we were having dinner at the ginger house in Berlin and on the wall, man, it just fits so well. On the wall, they had these three sayings. Embrace your story, live your story, share your story. For those who have been changed by Jesus, who know Christ and God is working, embrace that. Embrace your story. Your past doesn't define you, but your past is a great testimony to what Christ has brought you from. Don't be a, don't, don't, don't not tell your story. Like if you lived a sinful life and you met Christ, go and share that story to others because they can have hope that they can get out of the sin that they're in. Embrace your story. Next, live the story that God is writing in your life. Like, live it out. Saul lived it out. Live out your story. Boldly for Jesus. It says that Paul boldly preached Jesus numerous times in this text. Most importantly, this, share your story. Look, when we talk about apologetics and we're talking about sharing the gospel, here is the thing. Your story is one of the most prolific ways of sharing Jesus. Your story is powerful. If you've met Jesus and Christ has changed you, like, and and still changing you and still moving you and still making you and still still working in your life, like, share that story. It's kind of like if if I was a doctor, right, and someone came to me for cancer and I discovered a cure for cancer and I told them that and and they didn't do anything to tell others about it. Like, what is that going to do? but if, if, if their cancer was cured, like I would want, expect and hope that they would go tell the world. Listen, we have the greatest cancer curing, sin-freeing, transformational power in Jesus. And in the end, whether they get healed from cancer here or now, the promise is this, is that Christ is gonna heal them from their sin and one day fully restore them. Why wouldn't you wanna tell that? Share your story to the world. But here's what Peter says. Give the hope that you have, but do it with what? Gentleness and respect. Do it in a way that others feel loved, they feel appreciative, that they feel respected. But don't be afraid to tell them that they're a sinner in need of Jesus. Because at one point, that was me. I was a sinner going away from Jesus. Like, I I didn't live a horrible life, but in fourth grade, I was cursing my teachers out, getting in fights, doing all those things. And then Christ met me, and those things began to change. Christ's power to transform is real. Look at Paul's life and do it yourself. Share the story. This is a reason for Paul's story. Verse 31, so the church throughout all judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. Church, your story, Paul's story has a purpose. And that purpose is to show the world that they need Jesus. And maybe you're here and as we close, maybe you're here and this is your first time hearing that. My hope is that don't wait. Don't wait to put your faith in Jesus. Don't wait to accept him. Do it now. And if you have more questions, you want to know all of those things, know this, we're here for you. We will spend time, as much time needed, to answer your questions. But our hope is that you would have an encounter with Jesus and be transformed. Let's pray. Lord, that was a longer message than I hoped. I planned, Lord, for a shorter message, but yet you had other plans and other things that you wanted to be shared. And I'm so grateful for that. Lord, the gospel's real. You're real. We see it in Saul's story of his transformation and his calling and his being chosen by you. Lord, and you have a plan, the world. Plan of redemption, of restoration, of transformation. But we know that's only in you, Jesus. And so, God, we pray that not only will the, the, those here, those present, those listening online, those that maybe here later, not only will they be filled with a hope from you that, that you got it, but we know. That, that, that the things we go through, Lord, you're still working and you're still moving and you're allowing for specific reasons, God, in our lives. And one of those reasons is to form us more into you, Jesus, to restore what sin has broken. Lord, that takes time. It takes patience. But Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in that, Jesus. We pray that you would get the glory there. And so we pray for hope. God, we pray for boldness. God, we pray for boldness over everyone here that not only would they be bold to continue to press forward in you, but they'd be bold to share the gospel, that share the good news of Jesus. God, so we pray that over them. God, we pray for anyone here who, who maybe is struggling to, to believe in you or maybe that the things of their past or maybe experiences they had are, are keeping them from of those moments. Lord, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would intervene like you did Saul. That, you would have, that they would have an encounter with you that would truly prove that you're real. But God, I pray that we would continue to stand upon you that salvation is found in no one else but you. So Lord, we, we're asking that your spirit move. We're asking that we would decrease so that you would increase in our lives. And we're praying, God, that as you write our story, that we would be bold to share it. God, that we, that while the sin of the past and the things that you brought us from, while they they're hard to think about, hard to do, God, but you allow the gospel to redeem that story. God, I pray, Father, that they wouldn't be ashamed to show their friends, their neighbors, that once they lived a life against you, but now they found you, and now they're living this life for you, and that anyone who encounters Jesus and has a, places their faith in Jesus can have this promise that, that you will restore and transform over time if we allow it. so Jesus, may we stop resisting the work that you're doing in our lives. May we sense it, may we see it, may we submit to it, Jesus. God, you are great. Lord, and as we close our service this morning, God, maybe in this moment, maybe as I preached, maybe as, as I prayed, Maybe there's someone in your life that is coming into your mind that doesn't know Jesus. I want you to pray about him or her. Maybe it's a couple. That you would pray that God would give you the boldness to share your faith with them. That maybe God would give you the opening to invite them over for a meal. Maybe you would pray for an encounter that as you're bringing out the trash can and they're bringing it out, there's this moment of conversation happening. But who is it that God has brought to your mind that needs Jesus? God, I pray over that right now. that You would provide an opportunity for the gospel to be presented. For boldness to stand firm on Scripture when the world wants to go against it. The people would experience Jesus through us. And so, Lord, we want to pray over everyone here. God, that you would fill them, empower them to love and lead well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for sitting for a longer sermon. Um, But we're going to close our service. But I want to encourage you to go and be bold for Jesus. Thank you.